You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. Today's guest is James Jacuna, who's the founder of Happy Community Organisation, which is an organisation in Kenya that's doing some incredibly interesting ecological work. Welcome to the show, James. Can you please tell us a little bit about the Happy Community Organization and what do you guys do? Thank you, Daniel, for hosting me today. I am James Jagoon, as you said earlier, the founder of Happy Community Organization. We are a non-profit community-based organization working in Kenya in an area known as the Amboseli Savo Ecosystem. The Amboseli Savo Ecosystem is an area of critical biodiversity hosting hundreds of different lives, including all the big five birds, trees, and uh, other biotic and non-biotic factors within the area. Can you describe some of the ecological damage that's occurred and what have been some of the causes? A major concern in the, in the, within the ecosystem is the loss of what we refer to uh, the wildlife corridors. This ecosystem sits in an arid and semi-arid uh, region, and uh, therefore the wildlife corridors are uh, uh, are important to the to the lives of wildlife within. Now, these wildlife corridors do not form part of the protected areas within the ecosystem. The ecosystem being an area of more than 5,000 square kilometer, only a third of, of, of them are, are, are protected or are protected by the government. The remaining more than three quarters are what we refer uh, as to community lands. Uh, now, what is happening within these community lands is that uh, people, investors, are coming in, capitalizing on the indigenous Maasai uh, economic status of being uh, people who we consider uh, beyond um, high poverty levels. They come in, lease lands within these corridors, clear the vegetations around them, which includes the acacia trees, put the lands under crop production uh, le- uh, on a lease of maybe 1,000 US dollars per year, uh, farm for about three years, then uh, because they use too much fertilizers and uh, other pesticides, by the time the three years are over, these lands uh, have been degenerated. So they leave and move to another parcel of land. This pattern has so far destroyed more than 1,000 uh, square kilometer within uh, the ecosystem. And how are the pollinators specifically doing? Now, the area, this, the, the area within the corridors and the larger ecosystem has a huge pollinators population. Uh, what are you talking about? Bees, butterflies, and all, uh, all the other insects and animals that we consider as uh, pollinators. The major impact uh, is with, uh, one, the loss of habitat, because um, most of this, uh, most of, let's say, the bees, for example, nest naturally uh, on the trees, uh, on the hollow trees, or um, on the caves, or under the rocks that form part of the non-biotic factors in the, within this uh, ecosystem. So whenever the clearing happens, we are disrupting, um, we, we're destroying this habitat. How we know it, for example, we, we just returned from within the ecosystem system to in, in, in a program that I'll speak later about Adopter Hype to support the community uh, developed beekeeping as a much sustainable 
Now, in an off-season, off-swarming season for the bees, uh, we find that we're still able to have, out of maybe 30 hives put in a month, about 10 are being populated with bees off-season. What this means is that these bees are lacking habitat or nests to stay in, and, uh, and, uh, and that's why we're able to capture these bees or we're able to nest them in the hives. The other degrading factors are, of course, the use of a pesticide with the increased farming around. There's lots of uh, use of pesticides or, uh, to control pests, but also the use of uh, chemicals to what we call uh, weed control. So they spray the weeds to, to control the weeds, and this is killing the pollinators within uh, the ecosystem. You touched on the Adopt a Beehive program. Can you please describe in a little bit more detail how this program works and who it helps? Thank you. So Adopter Hive is, is a regenerative is regeneration program that we carry in under, uh, within the ecosystem uh, as one of, our, of, the, of the projects that we carry around. So what this program is doing is uh, we're trying to change the, the story that um, the community can only make money from uh, leasing the lands, which is very small amounts that they get from it, and often a more lucrative, uh, sus- sustainable uh, economic uh, program uh, through um, the Adopter Hive program. The Adopter Hive, we, we look for people, anyone around the world, anyone to support these communities by donating a, a hive to this community. Most of this is uh, is channeled through PayPal via donate at happycommunity.org or info at happycommunity.org. Once we get the money and we build the hives, we give these hives to the community to begin the regeneration of the ecosystem, to abandon the land leasing, and to enable us to save some of the vegetation, such as the acacia, which are critical to the ecosystem. We have, under this program, uh, if we're going to save the ecosystem, target of 20,000 hives by the year 2030. That means each year since this year, when we launched that program, we will be doing 2,000 hives to to the communities. Uh, These communities are divided into households of 20. So each each of the households will receive, uh, each of the 20 households will receive 100 hives per year. Out of these 100 hives, then they can be able to make much more as households and uh, we're talking about uh, about 50, 50, 50 hundred US dollars, more than the 100, I mean, 500 US dollars, more than the 100 US dollars that they currently make in just leasing land. But you have to look at the, the gains uh, as not just to the communities, but uh, also to the biodiversity around the ecosystem. What this means then is that uh, we will have... Uh, more grazing areas for the wildlife. Uh, we will have the acacias that the acacias being the major vegetation that you find here act as watershed. Like they provide shades for when it rains uh, for for pasture to grow under, and the moving wildlife, the migratory wildlife, to graze as they move from the major parts, which are the Savo National Parks, the Amboseli National Parks, and also inter-country borders into the Kilimanjaro region of, the, of Tanzania. That is what uh, the Adopter Hive is about, protecting the ecosystem, the biodiversity, but also giving the community the dignity to support themselves and to support the ecosystem. The acacia genus is native to both Australia and Southern Africa. 
How have the indigenous people traditionally worked with this type of plant? Oh, the, 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 the indigenous people within the ecosystem uh, here in the Maasai people of Kenya have always used their cashier for fodder, uh, livestock, so whether it's the goats and other cattle. You may note that uh, the acacia produces some pods which uh, they harvest and store during the dry season for feeding uh, the uh, livestock whenever it's dry and there's nothing else to feed. But uh, as I said earlier, that coupled with the destruction now of these acacias means that there's a disruption in that economic uh, way of people. The acacia, just like they provide watershed for pasture to grow for the, for, for the wildlife, they also benefit the, the community, the pastoral communities, because they can also graze these uh, cattle under those pasture that grows under those trees. So whenever, whenever there's this destruction of the acacia or the, the cutting down of the acacias uh, within uh, the ecosystem, we are disrupting a people who have known um, their only life has been uh, uh, hunting and gathering uh, as a source of income to something that, uh, to somewhere where we don't know what we, they will be doing in the future. There are a couple of lakes in the Baringo County that are in danger of merging. Can you tell us a little bit about why that would be such a big problem if this happens? Okay. Uh, Baringo, uh, Baringo is a county or a region within uh, Kenya, and uh, Baringo as a county sits in the Great Rift Valley. Uh, the Great Rift Valley is a geographical feature that uh, starts from uh, uh, Lebanon and uh, in Asia and uh, ends at uh, Mozambique in the almost southern part of Africa. It's the, the Great Rift Valley is about 6,000 square uh, kilometers in size. Now, this feature is an active volcanic area, and it was formed out of the volcanic activity that result that, uh, that resulted into fault lines sinking and forming a depression that came to be known as the Great Rift Valley. Now, because uh, the volcanic activity around the Rift Valley is active. In around the, the Lake Baringo and Lake Bogorias, the two lakes that are about to merge, uh, there has been a, what we call the, the steam glaciers, or basically the magma under the molten, the magma under earth is boiling the water, and that comes out uh, as glaciers, hot glaciers. Now, the government of the Republic of Kenya has been in within that area using or trying to utilize that to develop geothermal power as, as a source of clean energy to power the, the country. But right there, the activities of drilling uh, around the two lakes is uh, what uh, is threatening the margin of these two lakes. Because, as I mentioned earlier, the Rift Valley is formed out of uh, fault lines. So whenever you drill into the core of the Great Rift Valley, you expose in these fault lines. As you expose those, then the water, the underneath water, gets like spaces or, or rifts to percolate. And this is what now uh, has been filling in the two lakes. The cracks that are emerging out of the drilling of the geothermal power filling in this lake. The lake was initially, the, the lakes were initially about 40 kilometers apart. Currently, we're talking about uh, five kilometers apart. Now, that might seem uh, okay. I mean, it means that there's some 
more water for biodiversity and all. But now the problem is that one lake is salty or alkaline, while the other is freshwater lake. What that means is that in one lake, you'll find aquatic life that can only survive in freshwater lake. And in another, you can only find life that can only survive in uh, salty water. When these two merge, then it means there's absolutely destruction of the lives within those two lakes because the lives that depends on that salty water will not be able to survive and the lakes that depends on, or the life that depends on the lake in the fresh water cannot survive. That is why this is a major concern to the biodiversity of the lives within, uh, within the two lakes, Lake Baringo and Lake Bogoria. Do you think that losing some of that biodiversity is going to have further reaching consequences than just the life that exists within those lakes? Absolutely. And you even looking at uh, the local economy, the fishermen and everything, it, it it will mean so much destruction to so many people, so many lives. And uh, I mean, it, it, will, it will really be catastrophic. What needs to be done is uh, the stopping of drilling in, in within uh, the, the, those areas. I mean, the whole Rift Valley is, a, is, is an area of, as I said, of Arctic volcanic. There are many areas by which the government of Kenya can drill uh, geothermal power. So many areas that we can speak of, that we can speak of the Hell's Gate National Park area, the Magadi area, uh, the Trukana area, but for this and seeing what is happening, I think it is very important that uh, all activities around those areas are abandoned. Uh, we have not had any anything yet uh, with regard to any concrete that's been undertaken to stop that. Uh, the studies are still uh, preliminary and um, we are hoping that the government will take uh, action. Again, we, we're just hoping that um, the fact that we're coming from a rainy season, the end of a rainy season, maybe it might ease that bit a little bit uh, and we might avoid this catastrophe on the short term. But long term, if the government is to continue drilling, then uh, uh, we are sure going to, to have these two lakes merge. And I must say, there, were actually, there was actually another lake. There were three lakes, but uh, the other lake happened to be freshwater too which merged with the, Bar- with, the, with the Baringo Lake. So we're not talking of something that uh, has not happened to some extent. One, lake, one smaller lake has already been swallowed by, by the bigger lake, and we will looking at this extending now into the catastrophic areas. We all can only hope that the government will take action, even as we try to, to lobby and push for some action to take place. Is there anything that our listeners can do to help? We we are trying uh, because uh, I must say that a happy community does not come or does not sit from uh, around that area. But we are trying to look for people who are within that area and and develop a uh, joint plan that will work on addressing uh, the same. And uh, when that happens, then we can we will surely inform you the same. Thanks, James. What does a modern economy look like to you? Well. The modern economy uh, is, uh, I mean, both interesting, both positive, and it has both its positives and uh, its negative. Uh, some some concern here in Africa and uh, and in Kenya when you look at the modern economy is uh, an economy that insists on too much, uh, too much, or, or uh, unsustainable production. Uh, whether you're talking of food or 
product that um, to feed a market. Well, we have not exhausted um, uh, the as in what what we already have within the economy. That's why, for example, we produce so much, but waste so much on on, on storage of the produces. So then you wonder how how modern or how sustainable is such an economy. I think um, we need to move to an economy that thinks about the future or places the future as the as the main or the the core uh, consideration on, on everything that we do. We know that we've already messed the world in, in an economy that focused on production of things that were unsustainable. I mean production that was based on oil, oil, oil as a source of energy, production that was based on uh, people not people only thinking about profit and not about uh, the future. We cannot move in that way as we see whether you it's in Australia with the wildfires that we can attribute to raising temperatures and climate change. The same is happening here in Kenya. Or whether you're thinking about what we've been seeing on the recent week in uh, Malaysia, with how much the production of oils is always a threat to biodiversity, whether it's during transportation, whatever those tanks links, links, or whether it's in Kenya and in Africa, where we've become a dumping site for all manner of pesticides that have been banned in Europe and elsewhere, the glycos and all those. We cannot build the world from such a base, such an economy. Uh, and so we must rethink, we must reshape and focus on an economy that builds back better. The beautiful thing about the Adopt a Beehive program to me seems to be that it's a bit of a two-pronged approach where we have the ability for individuals to make an income and it also makes a difference on the ecology in a positive way. Is there anything else that's important that you'd like to share with the listeners? Great. Um, Let me just say something about uh, the Adopt a Beehive. The Adopt a Beehive is a community-driven process supported by people around the world to make our world a better place. I always say conservation anywhere is conservation everywhere, and messing the world anywhere is messing the world everywhere. So one thing that I can ask people who will listen or will listen to this is to come out and support Adopt a Hive. It doesn't matter whether you're bringing $1, $20, but we have to begin somewhere in building our world back better. And uh, Adopt a Hive offers everyone that chance to make the difference in our world. And whenever you donate through PayPal or through any other way, info at happycommunity.org, you are making that change. You're bringing or you, you're leading in making our world, our common home, a better place. Now, someone might want to engage more on this. There are a number of links that I could share on our social media. Most of the time we use our Twitter page, which is at Happy Community K, or just go to our website, uh, just www.happycommunity.org, and you'll find us there. You can also help me at njuguna at happycommunity.org if you want uh, a more personal uh, touch, uh, we can take the discussion from there. Otherwise, thank you, Daniel. If you're interested, you should definitely check out that link in the show notes in Adopt a Hive. It seems to me to be a win-win-win situation where the individual, the community, and the ecology all benefit. And as an added bonus, you can feel good about your donation. <laughs>